Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Calling Tassetti. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 558. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yes, I've got mad flu. Come on, laugh it up there. I've got I've got a cup of tea, it's a little bit too hot yet. And I've got me, me two paracetamol and me two brufen, ibrufen there to take because I'm not very well. <laughs> hey, what a baby I am, man. I'm getting over it now, I think, feel the day is a bit, a little bit better. But, oh, man, I'm honestly like a little kid, man. I'd, I hate it, honestly, man. I hate it. I like, Melly, Melly, can I have some more butter on me, little bit of cake? Will you puff me pillars? I'm like that, man. I'm absolutely shocked. I'm embarrassed by myself. <gasps> Dear me. Anyway, I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. The main fiction, and it is a fantastic main fiction, it is The Chameleon's Gloves by Yoon Ha Lee, and I'm Proud as any proud as punch to get Yoon Ha on the on the on the show. It is just you know amazing. Nine Fox Gambit. I can remember when that book came out. Just fantastic. You know what I mean? So I'm really proud. Yes, it's lovely to have him on. Ho ho! Right then, before we get into the main fiction though, Perion's doing seems to be doing good. We say we're on a bloody roll, man. We are now standing at 437. Last week, if you remember. We were at 433. Yes, and I just want a, bit, a couple of big shout-outs as well there. Three big shout-outs as well. James Erskine. James, sir. James, little tinker. Thank you so much. Darren Davis. Darren, I want to say a big thank you to you. So if I open your pledge, yes, big big thank you to Darren Davidson and Adam Payne. Adam, man, any amount happened. Just fantastic. Thank you so much. Adam, you rock, sir. Thank you so much indeed. So, yes... Goes without saying, Patreon keeps this ship floating. Do subscribe and help out. We are, like I mentioned, I'm sure I'm going to try and aim for the first week, kicking off the first week in January 2019, where we're doing the serialization of the John Brunner 
novel as well. There we go. So that's looking forward. I'll keep you up to date on all things that. So we're getting the main fiction. Before that, I just let you know, I've had me tablets. I've had me tablets. I'm all right there now. I'm, I'll be okay in a couple of minutes. The chills will have gone. So the main fiction is The Chameleon's Gloves by Yoon Ha Lee. Yoon Ha Lee's debut novel, Nine Fox Gambit, won the Locust Award for Best First Novel and was a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula and Clark Awards. Its sequel, Raven Stratagem, was also a Hugo finalist. His middle-aged space opera, middle-aged, middle-grade, man. I've got new glasses as well and I don't know if it seems to be... Dragon Pearl is forthcoming from Disney Hyperion in January 2019. That's actually something to look forward to. He lives in Louisiana with his family, an extremely lazy cat, and has not been eaten eaten by gators yet. The story is narrated by Mary Murphy. Mary Murphy is an actor, voiceover artist based in Brooklyn, New York. She loves the world of audio fiction and is excited to be part of Starship Sofa. She can be heard voicing the role of Dashi on Disney's Junior Octonauts and voicing multiple characters for PBS Kids Past Present, Leapfrog and Muzzy. She also can be heard on Fireside Mystery Theatre's audio drama podcast, Midnight Shorts Programme and narrating the audiobook Love and Smoke. Other credits include Boardwalk Empire, Man with a Gun, DNA, I Hope You Live Forever, Clutter and Room 333. Recently she appeared in the play Nia Nelly Blythe for the Workshop Theatre Series and will be performing a series of Norwin Corwin and O'Hare Henry adaptations for Quicksilver. You can often find her roaming the streets of Brooklyn with her £13 dash hound penny, Gotham's Real Dark Knight. So the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Chameleon's Gloves by Yoon Ha Lee Rian hated museums, but their partner Liu had done unmentionable things to the ship's star drive the last time the two of them had fled the authorities, and the repairs had drained their savings, which was why Rian was on a station too close to the more civilized regions of the dust waves. Flirting with a tall, pale woman decked in jewels, while they feigned interest in pre-devolutionist art. In spite of themselves, Rian was impressed by colonists who had carved pictures into the soles of worn-out space boots. So useless that it had to be art. Not that they planned to say that to the woman. Wonderful evocation of the Festival of the Vines— using that repeated motif, the woman was saying. She brushed a long curl of hair out of her face and toyed with one of her dangling earrings as she looked sideways at Rihan. 
I was just thinking that myself. Rian lied. The Festival of the Vines, with its accompanying cheerful inebriation and sex, would be less agonizing than having to pretend to care about the aesthetics of this piece. Too bad Rian and Leos plan to disappear in the next couple hours. The woman was pretty enough, despite her obsession with circuitscapes. Rian was of the opinion that if you wanted to look at a circuit, nothing beat the real thing. A tiny voice said in Rian's ear, Are you on location yet? Rian faked a cough and sub-vocalized over the link to Leo's. Been in position for the last half hour. You sure you didn't screw up the prep? She snorted disdainfully. Just hurry, it. At last, the alarms clanged. The jeweled woman jumped, her astonishing blue eyes going wide. Rian put out a steadying arm and, in the process, relieved her of a jade ring, slipping it in their pocket. Not high-value stuff, but no one with sense wore expensive items as removables. They weren't wearing gloves on this outing, had avoided wearing gloves since their exile. But the persistent awareness of their naked hands never faded. At least, small consolation, the added sensation made ledger domain easier, even if they had to endure the distastefulness of skin touching skin. A loud, staticky voice came over the public address system. All patrons, please proceed to the nearest exit. There is no need for alarm. Exactly the last thing you wanted to say if you didn't want people to panic, or gossip for that matter. But due to an incident, the museum needs to close for maintenance. The woman was saying, with charming anxiety, We'd better do as they say. I wonder what it is. Come on, Rian thought. What's the delay? Had they messed up preparing the explosives? They had turned to smile and pat the woman's hand reassuringly when the first explosives went off at the end of the hall. Fire flowered, flashed, a boom reverberated through the walls, with an additional hiss of sparks when a security screen went down. Rian's ears rang even though they'd been prepared for the noise. Two stands toppled, spilling a ransom's worth of iridescent black quantum pearl strands inscribed with algorithmic peons. The sudden chemical reek of the smoke made Rian cough, even though you'd think they'd be used to it by now. Several startled bystanders shrieked and bolted toward the exit. The woman leapt back and behind a decorative pillar with commendable reflexes. Over here, she called out to Rihan, as if she could rescue them. Rihan feigned befuddlement, although they could easily lip-read what she was saying. They could barely hear her past the ringing in their ears and sidestepped out of her reach, just in case. A second blast went off, farther down the hall. A thud suggested that something out of sight had fallen down. 
Brian thought snidely that some of the statues he had seen earlier would be improved by a few creative cracks anyway. The sprinklers finally kicked in, and a torrent of water rained down from above, drenching them. Rian left the woman to fend for herself. Where are you going? She shouted after Rian, loudly enough to be heard despite the damage to their hearing, as they sprinted toward the second explosion. I have to save this painting, Rian said over their shoulder. To Rian's dismay, the woman pivoted on her heel and followed. Rian turned their head to lip-read their words almost crashing into a corner in the process. You shame me, she said as she ran after them. Your dedication to the arts is greater than mine. Another explosion. Leos, whose hearing was unaffected, was wheezing into Rihan's ear. Dedication to the arts? <gasps> she said between breaths. Dedication? You? Rian didn't have time for Leos's quirky sense of humor. Just because they couldn't tell a color wheel from a flywheel didn't mean they didn't appreciate market value. They just rounded the corner to the relevant gallery and its delicious gear collages when Rian was alerted, too late, by the quickened rhythm of the woman's footsteps. They inhaled too sharply, coughed at the smoke, and staggered when she caught them in a chokehold. What? Rian said, and then no words were possible anymore. Rian woke in a chair, bound. They kept their eyes closed and tested the cords, hoping not to draw attention. The air had a familiar undertone of incense, which was very bad news but perhaps they were only imagining it. Rian at last smelled this particular blend with its odd metallic top notes in the ancestral shrines of a childhood home they hadn't returned to in eight years. They stilled their hands from twitching. Otherwise, the temperature was warmer than they were accustomed to. Leos liked to keep the ship cool, and a faint hissing suggested an air circulation system not kept in as good a shape as it could be. Even more faintly, they heard the distinctive, just-out-of-tune humming of a ship's drive. Too bad they lacked Leos's ability to identify the model by listening to the harmonics. More importantly, how many people were there with them? They didn't hear anything, but that didn't mean. You might as well open your eyes, Kelrihan, a cool female voice said in a language they had not heard for a long time. Confirming Rihan's earlier suspicions, they had not fooled her. Rihan wondered whether their link to Leos was still working, and if she was all right. Leos! They sub-vocalized. No response. 
their hearts stuttered. They opened their eyes. Might as well assess the situation, since her captor knew they were awake. I don't have the right to that name any longer, Rian said. They hadn't been part of the Kel people for years, but their hands itched with the memory of the Kel clubs they hadn't worn in eight years, as a Kel reckoned it. Indeed, with their hands exposed like this, they felt shamed and vulnerable in front of one of their people. The woman before them was solidly built, dark, like the silhouette of a tree, and more somber and mean than the highly ornamented agent who had brought Rihan in. She wore the black and red of the Kel judiciary. A cursory slip of veil obscured part of her face, its translucence doing little to hide her sharp features. The veil should have scared Rihan more, as it indicated that the woman was a judge errant, but her black kel gloves hurt worse. Rihan's had been stripped from them and burned when the kel cast them out. I've honored the terms of my exile, Rihan said desperately. What had they done to deserve the attention of a judge errant? Granted that they were a thief but they'd had little choice but to make a living with the skills they had. What have you done with my partner? The judge errant ignored the question. Nevertheless, the sudden tension around her eyes indicated that she knew something. Rian had been watching for it. I am Judge Kel Shiora, and I have been sent because the Kel have need of you. She said. Of course, Rihan said, fighting to hide their bitterness. Eight years of silence and adapting to an unkel world, and the moment the Kel had need of them, they were supposed to comply. Shiora regarded them without malice or opprobrium, or anything much resembling feeling. There are many uses for a Jehanar. Jehanar, what Nonkel called, in their various languages, a haptic chameleon. Someone who was not only so good at imitating patterns of movement that they could scam inattentive people, but also able to fool the machines whose security systems depended on identifying their owner's characteristic movements. How you interacted with your gunnery system, or wandered about your apartment, or smiled at the lover you'd known for the last decade. It wasn't magic. A Jehanar needed some minimum of data to work from. But the knack often seemed that way. The Kel produced few Jehanar, and the special forces snapped up those that emerged from the Kel academies. Rihan had been the most promising Jehanar in the last few generations, before disgracing themselves. The only reason they hadn't been executed was that the Kel government had foreseen that they would someday be of use again. Tell me what you want, then, Rihan said. 
anything to keep her talking, so that eventually she might be willing to say what she'd done with Leus. If I undo your bonds, will you hear me out? Getting out of confinement would also be good. Their leg had fallen asleep. I won't try anything, Rion said. They knew better. Ordinarily, Rion would have felt sorry for anyone who trusted a thief's word so readily, except that they knew the kind of training a judge errant underwent. Shiora wasn't the one in danger. They kept silent as she unlocked the restraints. I had to be sure, Shiora said. Rihan shrugged. Talk to me. General Kavarian has gone rogue. We need someone to infiltrate her ship and retrieve a weapon she has stolen. I'm sorry, Rian said after a blank pause. You just said that General Kavarian has gone rogue? Kavarian, the hero of Split Suns. Kavarian of the Five Splendors? My hearing must be going. Shiora gave them an unamused look. Kel Command sent her on contract to guard a weapons research facility. She said, Kavarian recently attacked the facility and made off with the research and a prototype. The prototype may be armed. Surely you have any number of loyal Kel who'd be happy to go on this assignment, Rion said. The Kel took betrayal personally. They knew this well. You are the nearest Jehanar in this region of the Dustways. Most people reserve the term Dustways for particularly lawless segments of the Spaceways. But the Kel used the term for anywhere that didn't fall under the Kel sphere of influence. Also, Shiora added, few of our Jehanar match your skill. You owe the Kel for your training, if nothing else. Besides, it's not in your interest to live in a world where former Kel are hunted for theft of immensely powerful weapon prototypes. Rian had to admit she had a point. They named it the Incendiary Heart, Shiora continued. It initiates an inflationary expansion like the one at the universe's birth. Rihan swore. Remote detonation? There's a timer. It's up to you to get out of range before it goes off. The radius of effect? Thirty thousand light years, give or take, in a directed cone. That's the only thing that makes it possible to use without blowing up the person setting it off. Rihan closed their eyes. That would fry a non-trivial percentage of the galaxy. And you don't know if it's armed? No. The general is running very fast. To what? We don't know. But she has been attempting to hire mercenary Jehanar. We suspect she is looking for a way to control the device. Which may buy us time. I see. Rian rubbed the palm of one hand with the fingers of the other, smile twisting at the Judge Aaron's momentary look of revulsion at the touch of skin on skin. 
which was why they'd done it, of course, petty as it was. Can you offer me any insight into her goals? If we knew that, the judge errant said bleakly, we would know why she turned coat. Blowing up a region of space, even a very local region of space in galactic terms, would do no one any good. In particular, it would make a continued career in art theft a little difficult. On the other hand, Riam was determined to wring some payment out of this, if only so Leos wouldn't lecture them about their lack of mercenary instinct. Their ship wasn't going to fix itself, after all. I'll do it, they said. But I'm going to need some resources. The judge surprised them by laughing. You have lived too long in the dustways, she said. I can offer payment in the only coin that should matter to you. Or do you think we haven't been watching you? Rian should have objected. But they froze up, knowing what was to come. Do this for us and show us the quality of your service, the judge errant said. And Kale Command will reinstate you. Very precisely. She peeled the edge of one black glove to expose the dark, fine skin of her wrist. Signaling her sincerity, Rihan stared. Leus? They asked again, subvocally. No response. Which meant that Leus probably hadn't heard that damning offer. At least she wasn't there to see Rian's reaction as good as they normally were at controlling their body language. They had not been able to hide that moment's hunger for a home they had thought forever lost to them. I will do this, Rian said at last. But not for some bribe, because a weapon like the one you describe is too dangerous for anyone, let alone a rogue to control and because they needed to find out what had become of Leus. But Chiora wouldn't understand that. The woman who escorted Rihan to their ship docked on the Kel carrier. Rihan elected not to ask how this had happened. Had a familiar face. I don't know why you're not doing this job, Rihan said to the pale woman now garbed in Kel uniform, complete with gloves. Rather than the jewels and outlandish stationer garb she'd affected in the museum, the woman unsmiled at Rihan. I will be accompanying you, she said in the lingua franca they used earlier. Of course. Shior had extracted Rihan's word, but neither would she fail to take precautions. They couldn't blame her. Kel design sensibilities had not changed much since Rihan was a cadet. The walls of dark metal were livened by tapestries of wire and faceted beads, polished from battlefield shrapnel, obsolete armor, lens components and laser cannon, spent shells. Rihan kept from touching the wall superstitiously as they walked by. What do I call you? 
Rian said finally. Since a woman seemed disinclined to speak first. I am Sergeant Kel Anars, she said. She stopped before a hatch, and she tapped a panel in full sight of Rihan, her mouth curling sardonically. I'm not stupid enough to try to escape a ship full of Kel, Rian said. I bet you have great aim. Besides, there was Leus's safety to consider. You weren't bad at it yourself. She would have studied their record, yet Rion hated how exposed the simple statement made them feel. I can imitate the stance of a master marksman, Rion said dryly. That doesn't give me the eye or the reflexes. These past years, I found safer ways to survive. Anaza's eyebrows lifted at safer, but she kept her contempt to herself. After chewing over Anaza's passkey, the hatch opened. A whoosh of cool air floated over Rian's face. They stepped through before Anaz could say anything, their eyes drawn immediately to the lone non-Kel ship in the hangar. To their relief... The flare cat didn't look any more disreputable than before. Rihanna advanced upon the flare cat and entered it, all the while aware of a Nas at their back. Leos was bound to one of the passenger seats, the sight of her face swollen and purpling, her cap of curly hair sticking out in all directions. Leos's eyes widened when she saw the two of them, but she didn't struggle against her bonds. Rian swore and went to her side. If she's damaged, Rian said in a shaking voice, then froze when Anaz shoved the muzzle of a gun against the back of their head. She's Jekel, Anaz said in an even voice. Jekel. Not Kel. She wasn't even concussed. She'll heal. She's my partner, Rihan said. We work together. If you insist. Anna said with a distinct air of distaste. The pressure eased, and she cut Leos free herself. Leos grimaced. New friend? she said. New job, anyway, Rian said. They should have known that Chiora and her people would treat a Chikel with little respect. We're never going to land another decent art theft, Leo said with strained cheer. You have no sense of culture. This one's more important. Rian reinforced their words with a hand signal. Emergency. New priority. What have the Kel got on you, anyhow? Rian had done their best to steer Leos away from any dealings with the Kel, because of the potential awkwardness. It hadn't been hard. The Kel had a reputation for providing reliable, but humorless mercenaries, 
and a distinct lack of appreciation for what Leos called the exigencies of survival in the Dustways. More relevantly, while they controlled a fair deal of wealth, they ruthlessly pursued and destroyed those who attempted to relieve them of it. Rion had never been tempted to take revenge by stealing from them. Anaza's head came up. You never told your partner? Never told me what? Leo said, starting to sound irritated. We'll be traveling with Sergeant Kalanaz, Rian said, hoping to distract Leo's. No luck. Her mouth compressed. Safe to talk? She signed at them. Not really. But Rian didn't see that they had many options. I'm former Kel, Rian said. I was exiled because... because of a training incident. Even now, it was difficult to speak of it. Two of their classmates had died, and an instructor. Leos laughed incredulously. You? We've encountered Cal mercenaries before. You don't talk like one, move like one. Well, except when... She faltered as it occurred to her that, of the various guises Rihan had put on for their heists, that one hadn't been a guise at all. Anas spoke over Leos. The sooner we set out, the better... We have word on Kavarian's vector, but we don't know how long our information will be good. You'll have to use your ship since the judge errants would draw attention, even if it's faster. Don't, Rian signed to Leos, although she knew better than to spill the Flarecat's modifications to this stranger. I'll fill you in on the way. The Dustways held many perils for ships. Wandering moths, a phenomenon noted for years and unexplained for just as long. Particles traveling at unimaginable speeds, capable of destroying any ship lax in maintaining its shielding. Vortices that filtered light even in dreams, causing hallucinations. When Rihan had been newly exiled, they had convinced Leos of their usefulness because they knew Dusway paths new to her, even if they hadn't been useful for making profit. They had helped in escaping the latest people she'd swindled. Ships could be tracked by the eddies they left in the Dustways. The difficulty was not in finding the traces, but in interpreting them. Great houses had risen to prominence through their monopoly over the computational networks that processed and sold this information. Kel Command had paid dearly for such information in its desperation to track down General Kavarian. Assuming that information was accurate, Kavarian had ensconced herself at the Fortress of Wheels. Neutral territory, where people carried out bargains for amounts that could have made Rihan and Leos comfortable for the rest of their lives. The journey itself passed in a haze of tension. 
Liu snapped at Anaz, who bore her jibes with grim patience. Rihan withdrew, not wanting to make matters worse, which was the wrong thing to do, and they knew it. In particular, Leos had not forgiven them for the secret they had kept from her for so long. At last, Rian slumped into the co-pilot's seat and spoke to Leos over the newly repaired link to gain some semblance of privacy. As far as they could tell, Anaz hardly slept. Rian said, He must have a lot of questions. I knew about the chameleon part, Leo said. Any number of their heist had depended on it. I hadn't realized that the Kel had their own. Usually they don't, Rian said. Leo's inhaled slightly at they, as if she had expected Rian to say we instead. But the Kel rarely let go of the ones they do produce. It's the only reason they didn't execute me. What did you do? Rian's mouth twisted. The Kel say there are three kinds of people after a fashion. There are Kel, G-Kel, or not-Kel, whom they have dealings with sometimes, and those who aren't people at all. Just disposable. Leos's momentary silence pricked at Rian. Am I disposable to you? She said. I should think it's the other way around, they said. They wouldn't have survived their first year in the dustways without her protection. Anyway, there was a training exercise. People who are not people were used as... They fumbled for a word in the language they spoke with Leos, rather than the Kel term. Mannequins. Props in the exercise. To be gunned down or saved or discarded. Whatever the trainees decided. I chose the lives of mannequins over the lives of Kel. For this I was stripped of my position and cast out. I have always known that the universe is unkind. Leo said, less moved than Rian had expected. I assume that hired killers would have to learn their art somewhere. It would have been one thing if I thought of myself as a soldier, Rian said. But a good chameleon, or perhaps a failed one, observes the people they imitate. And eventually... A chameleon learns that even mannequins think of themselves as people. I'm starting to understand why you never tried to go back, Leo said. A sick yearning started up in the pit of Rian's stomach. He still hadn't told her about Kelshiora's offer. Time enough later, if it came to that. Getting to Kavarian's fleet wasn't the difficult part, although Leos's eyes were bloodshot for the entire approach. The Flarecat's stealth systems kept them undetected. Even if mating it to the command ship 
like an unwanted tick, was a hair-raising exercise. By then, Rian had dressed themselves in a Kel military uniform, complete with gloves. Undeserved, since, strictly speaking, they hadn't recovered their honor in the eyes of their people. But they couldn't deny the necessity of the disguise. Anaz would remain with Leos on the flare-cat. She hadn't had to explain the threat. Do your job or your partner dies. Rian wasn't concerned for Leos's safety. So long as the two remained on the ship. Leos had access to a number of nasty tricks, and had no compunctions about using them. But the mission mattered to them anyway. Rian had spent the journey memorizing all the haptic profiles that Anaz had provided them. In addition, Anaz had taken one look at Rian's outdated holographic mask and given them a new one. If you could have afforded up-to-date equipment, you wouldn't be doing petty art theft, she had said caustically. The Fortress of Wheels currently hosted several fleets. Tensions ran high, although its customary neutrality had so far prevailed. Who knew how long that would last? Leos, interested as always in gossip, had reported that various buyers for the incendiary heart had shown up, and certain warlords wouldn't hesitate to take it by force if necessary. Security on Kavarian's command ship was tight, but had not been designed to stop a Jehanar. Not surprising. The Kel relied on their employers for such measures when they deigned to stop at places like the fortress. At the moment, Rian was disguised as a bland-faced lieutenant. Rian had finessed their way past the fifth lock in a row, losing themselves in the old, bitter pleasure of a job well done. They had always enjoyed this part best, fitting their motions to that of someone who didn't even realize what was going on, so perfectly that machine recognition systems could not tell the difference. But it occurred to them that everything was going too perfectly. Maybe I'm imagining things, they told themselves without conviction and hurried on. A corporal passed him by, without giving more than a cursory salute. But Rian went cold, and hastened away from him as soon as they could. They made it to the doors to the general's quarters. Leos had hacked into the communication systems, and was monitoring activity. She had assured Rihan that the general was stationside negotiating with someone. Since neither of them knew how long that would last. Sweat trickled down Rehan's back, causing the uniform to cling unpleasantly to their skin. They had some of the general's haptic information as well. Anas hadn't liked handing it over, but as Rehan pointed out, the mission would be impossible without it. Kavarian of the Five Splendors, one of the most celebrated Kel generals, 
and a musician besides. Her passcode was based on an extraordinarily difficult passage from a keyboard concerto. Another keyboardist could have played the passage, albeit with difficulty reproducing the nuances of expression. While not precisely a musician, Rihanna trained in a variety of the arts for occasions such as this. Leus often remarked it was a shame they had no patience for painting, or they could have had a respectable career forging art. They got through the passcode, held their breath. The door began opening. A fist slammed them in the back of the head. Rian staggered and whirled, barely remaining upright. If I get a concussion, I'm going to charge Kel Command for my medical care, they thought as the world slowed. Finally, someone took the bait, breathed Rihan's assailant. Kel Kaverian. Rian recognized the voice from the news reports they'd watched a lifetime before. I was starting to think I was going to have to hang out signs or hire a bounty hunter. She did something fast and complicated with her hands. And Rihan found themselves shoved down against the floor with the muzzle of a gun digging into the back of their neck. Sir, I... Save it, General Kavarian said, with a dangerous good humor. Come inside, and I'll show you what you're after. Don't fight me. I'm better at it than you are. Rian couldn't argue that. The general let Rihan up. The door had closed again, but she executed the passphrase in a blur that made Rihan think she was wasted on the military. Surely there was an orchestra out there that could use a star keyboardist. Rian made sure to make no threatening moves as they entered, scanning the surroundings. Kaverian had a taste for the grandiloquent. Triumph plaques of metal and stone and lacquerware covered the walls, forming a mosaic of battles past and comrades lost. The light reflecting from their angled surfaces gave an effect like being trapped in a kaleidoscope of sterilized glory. Kaverian smiled cuttingly. Rian watched them retreating step by step, gun still trained on them. You don't approve, Kaverian remarked. Rian unmasked, since there wasn't any point still pretending to be one of her soldiers. I'm a thief, they said. It's all one to me. You're lying. But never mind. I'd better make this quick. Kaverian smiled at Rihan with genuine and worrying delight. You're the Jehana we threw out, aren't you? It figures that Kel Command would drag you out of the dustways instead of hiring some G-Kel. I'm G-Kel now, General. It's a matter of degrees. 
It doesn't take much to figure out what Kel Command could offer an exile. She then offered the gun to Rihan. Hold that, she said. I'll get the incendiary heart. How do you know I won't shoot you? Rihan demanded. Because right now I'm your best friend, Kavarian said, and you're mine. If you shoot me, you'll never find out why I'm doing this, and a good chunk of the galaxy is doomed. Frustrated by the sincerity they'd read in the set of her shoulders, Rian trained the gun on Kavarian's back and admired her sang-froid. She showed no sign of being worried she'd be shot. Kavarian spoke as she pressed her hand against one of the plaques. They probably told you I blew the research station up after I stole the incendiary heart, which is true. The plaque lifted to reveal a safe. Did they also mention that someone armed the damn thing before I was able to retrieve it? They weren't absolutely clear on that point. Well, I suppose even a Judge Errant, I assume they sent a Judge Errant, can't get information out of the dead. Anyway, it's a time bomb presumably to give its user a chance to escape the area of effect. Rian's heart sank. There could only be one reason why Kavarian needed a Jehanar of her own. It's going to blow? Unless you can disarm it. One of the few researchers with a sense of self-preservation was making an attempt to do so before he got killed by a piece of shrapnel. I have some video, as much of it as I could scrape before the whole place blew. But I don't know if it's enough. Kavarian removed a box that shimmered a disturbing shade of red-gold bronze. The original mission was no good. That much was clear. All right, Rian said. Kavarian played back a video of the researcher's final moments. It looked like it had been recorded by someone involved in a firefight from the shakiness of the image. Parts of the key code were obscured by smoke, by flashing lights, by flying shrapnel. Rian made several attempts. There's just not enough information. Even for me to reconstruct the sequence. Suddenly, Kavarian looked haggard. How do you know he was really trying to disarm it? Rihan said. Because he was my lover. Kavarian said. And he had asked me for sanctuary. He was the reason I knew exactly how destructive the incendiary heart was to begin with. Scientists shouldn't be allowed near weapons design, Rian thought. How long do we have? She told them. They blanched. Why did you make off with it in the first place? Rian said. 
They couldn't help but think if she'd kept her damn contract. This whole mess could have been avoided in the first place. Because a contract holder was trying to sell the incendiary heart to the highest bidder. And at the time I made off with it, the highest bidder looked like it was going to be one of the parties in an extremely messy civil war. Kavarian scowled. Not only did I suspect that they'd use it at the first opportunity, I had good reason to believe that they had terrible security. And I doubted anyone stealing it would have any scruples either. Unfortunately, when I swiped the wretched thing, some genius decided it would be better to set it off and deny it to everyone. Never mind the casualties. Kavarian closed her fist over the incendiary heart. It looked like her fist was drenched in a gore of light. Help me get it out of here. Away from where it'll kill billions. What makes you so confident that I'm your ally when Kel Command sent me after you? She sighed. It's true that I can offer a better reward than if you bring the accursed thing to them. On the other hand, even if you think I'm lying about the countdown, do you really trust Kel Command with dangerous weapons? They never let me hand it over to them for safekeeping anyway. Not when I broke contract by taking it in the first place. No. Rianne said after a moment. You're right. That's not a solution either. Kavarian opened her hand and nodded companionably at Rihan, as though they'd been comrades for years. I need you to run away with this and get farther from centers of civilization. I can't do this with a whole fucking kill fleet. My every movement is being watched. And I'm afraid someone will get us into a fight and stall us in a bad place. But you, a G-Kel thief, used to darting in and out of the dustways, your chances will be better than mine. Rian's breath caught. You're already outnumbered, they said. Sooner or later, they'll catch up to you. The Kel. If not everyone else who wants a weapon they think you have. You don't even have a running start, since you're docked here. They'll incinerate you. Well, yes. Kavarian said. We are Kel. We are the people of fire and ash. It comes with the territory. Are you willing to do this? Her equanimity disturbed Rihan. Clearly, Leus's way of looking at the world had rubbed off on them more than they'd accounted for these last eight years. You're gambling a lot on my reliability. Am I? The corners of Kavarian's mouth tilted up. Amusement.
You were one of the most promising Kel cadets that year. And you gave it up because you were concerned about the lives of mannequins who didn't even know your name. I'd say I'm making a good choice. Kaverian pulled her gloves off one by one and held them out to Rehan. You are my agent, she said. Take the gloves and take the incendiary heart with you. A great many lives depend on it. They knew what the gesture meant. You hold my honor. Shaken, they stared at her, stripped of chameleon games. Shiora was unlikely to forgive Rehan for betraying her to ally with Kaverian. But Kaverian's logic could not be denied. Take them, Kaverian said, tiredly, and for the love of fire and ash, don't tell me where you're going. I don't want to know. Rian took the gloves and replaced the ones they had been wearing with them. I'm committed now, Rian thought. They brought their fist up to their chest in the Kel salute, and the general returned it. Things went wrong almost from the moment Rihan returned to their ship. They had refused an escort from Kaverian on the grounds that it would arouse Anaz's suspicions. The general had assured them that no one would interfere with them on the way out. But the sudden blaring of alarms and the scrambling of crew to get to their assigned stations meant that Rihan had to do a certain amount of dodging. At a guess... The fortress-imposed ceasefire was no longer in effect. What had triggered hostilities? Rihan didn't know and didn't particularly care. All that mattered was escaping with the incendiary heart. The flare cat remained shielded from discovery by the stealth device that Leo so loved. Even if it had a distressing tendency to blow out the engines exactly when they had to escape sharp-eyed creditors. Rian hadn't forgotten its location, however, and Anaz ambushed Rihan before they even reached the flare cat. In the dim holds where they were suiting up to traverse the perilous webbing that connected the flare cat to Kaverian's command ship, Rihan had seen this coming. Another chameleon might have fought back, and died of it. Shiora had no doubt selected a Nas for her deadliness. But Rihan triggered the mask into Kaverian's own visage, and smiled Kaverian's own smile at a Nas, counting on the reflexive Kel deference to rank. The gesture provoked enough of a hesitation that Rihan could pull out their own sidearm and put a bullet in the side of her neck. They'd been aiming for her head. No such luck. Still, they'd take what they could. The bullet didn't stop Anaz. Rion hadn't expected it to. But the next two did. The only reason they didn't keep firing was that Rion could swear that the incendiary heart pulsed hotter with each shot. Fuck this, they said with feeling. 
although they couldn't hear themselves past the ringing in their ears, and overrode the hatch to escape to the first of the web strands, without looking back to see whether Anaz was getting back up. No further attack came. But Anaz might live, might even survive what Kavarian had in mind for her. Leos wasn't dead. Presumably, Anaz had known better than to interfere too permanently with the ship's master. But Leos wasn't in good condition either. Anaz had left her unconscious and expertly tied up, a lump on the side of her head revealing where Anaz had knocked her out. Blood streaked her face. So much for no concussions, Rihan thought. A careful inspection revealed two broken ribs, although no fingers or arms. Small things to be grateful for. Leos had piloted with worse injuries, but it wasn't something either of them wanted to make a habit of. Rihan shook with barely quelled rage as they unbound Leos, using the lockpicks that the two of them kept stashed on board. Here, with just the two of them, there was no need to conceal their reaction. Rian took the precaution of injecting her with painkillers first. Then they added a stim, which they would have preferred to avoid. Nevertheless, the two of them would have to work together to escape. It couldn't be helped. My head, Leo said in a half-groan, stirring. Then she smiled crookedly at Rihan, grotesque through the dried blood. Did you give that cow thug what she wanted? Are we free? Not yet, Rihan said. As far as I can tell. Kavarian's gearing up for a firefight, and they're bent on blowing each other up over this bobble. Even worse, we have a new mission. They outlined the situation while checking Leos over again, to make sure there wasn't any more internal damage. Luckily, Anaz hadn't confiscated their medical kits, so Rihan retrieved one and cleaned up the head wound, then applied a bandage to Leos's torso. Every time I think this can't get worse, Leo said, while Rihan worked, but her heart wasn't in it. Let's strap ourselves in and get flying. What? You don't want to appraise this thing? They held the incendiary heart up. Was it warmer? They couldn't tell. I don't love shiny baubles that much, she said dryly. She was already preoccupied with the ship's pre-flight checks, although her grimaces revealed that the painkillers were not as efficacious as they could have been. I'll be glad when it's gone. You'd better tell me where we're going. The sensor arrays sputtered with the sparklights of many ships, distorted by the fact that they were stealthed. Ask the general to patch us into her friend or foe identification system, Rian said, when they realized that there were more Kel ships than there should have been. Kel Command must have had a fleet waiting to challenge Kavarian in case Shiora failed her mission. 
and ask her not to shoot us down on our way out. Leos contacted the command ship in the fortress's imposed lingua. The connection hissed open. The voice that came back to them over the line sounded harried and spoke accented lingua. Who the hell are? Rian distinctly heard Kaverian snapping something profane in the Kel language. The voice spoke back, referring to Leos with a particular suffix that meant coward, as if that applied to a G-Kel ship to begin with. Still, Rian was glad that they didn't have to translate that detail for Leos, although they summarized the exchange for her. Go, the voice said ungraciously. I'll keep the gunners off you. I hope you don't crash into anything, foreigner. Thank you, Leo said, in a voice that suggested that she was thinking about blowing something up on her way out. Don't, Rian said. I wasn't going to. They need the ship to fight with, which will let us get away from any pursuit. As far as I'm concerned, they're all the enemy. They couldn't blame her, considering what she'd been through. The scan suite reported on the battle. Rihan, who had webbed themselves in the co-pilot's seat, tracked the action with concern. The hostile Kel hadn't bothered to transmit their general's banner. A sign of utter contempt for those they thought. Even Chikel received banners, although they weren't expected to appreciate the nuances of Kel heraldry. The first fighter launched from the hangar below them. Our turn, Leo said. The flare cap rocketed away from the command ship and veered abruptly away from the fighter's flight corridor. Leo's rechecked stealth. The engine made the familiar dreadful coughing noise in response to the increased power draw. But it held, for now. A missile streaked through their path, missing them by a margin that Rihan wished were larger. To their irritation, Leos was whistling as she maneuvered the flare cat through the grape shot and missiles and gyring fighters and toward the edge of the battlefield. Leos had never had a healthy sense of fear. They'd almost made it when the engine coughed again, louder. Rian swore in several different languages. I'd better see to that, they said. No, Leo said immediately. You route the pilot functions to your seat, and I'll see if I can coax it along a little longer. Rian wasn't as good a pilot, but Leos was indisputably better at engineering. They gave way without argument. Leos used the ship's handholds to make her way toward the engine room. Whatever Leos was doing, it didn't work. The engine hiccuped and stealth went down. A flight of Kel fighters at the periphery noted the flare cat's attempt to escape, and dismayingly found it suspicious enough to decide to pursue them. Rion wished their training had included faking being an ace pilot, or actually being an ace pilot, for that matter. The incendiary heart continued to glow malevolently. Rion shook their head. It's not personal they told themselves. 
Leos, they said through the link. Forget stealth. If they decide to come after us, that's fine. It looks like we're not the only small-timers getting out of the line of fire. Can you configure for boosters? She understood them. If they blow us up, a lot of people are dead anyway, including us. We might as well take the chance. Part of the Flare Cat's problem was that its engine had not been designed for sprinting. Leos's skill at modifications made it possible to run. In return, the Flare Cat made its displeasure known at inconvenient times. The gap between the Flare Cat and the fighters narrowed hair-raisingly as Rihan waited for Leos to inform them that they could light the hell out of there. The incendiary heart's glow distracted them horribly. The fighters continued their pursuit, and while so far none of their fire had connected, Rian didn't believe in relying on luck. I wish you could use that thing on them, Leo said suddenly. Yes, and that would leave nothing but the thinnest imaginable haze of particles in a vast expanse of nothing, Rian thought. Are we ready yet? Yes, she said, after an aggravating pause. The flare cat surged forward in response to Rihan's hands at the controls. They said, Next thing, prepare a launch capsule for this so we can shoot it ahead of us. Anyone stupid enough to go after it and into its cone of effect? Well, we tried. For the next interval... Rian lost themselves in the controls and readouts, the hot immediate need for survival. They stirred when Leos returned. I need the heart, Leo said. I've rigged a launch capsule for it. It won't have any shielding, but it'll fly as fast and far as I can send it. Rian nodded at where they'd secured it. Don't drop it. You're so funny. She snatched it and vanished again. Rian was starting to wish they'd settled for a nice, quiet, boring life as a Kel special operative when Leos finally returned and slipped into the seat next to theirs. It's loaded and ready to go. Do you think we're far enough away? Yes, Rian hissed through their teeth achingly aware of the fighters and the latest salvo of missiles. Away we go, Leo said with gruesome cheer. The capsule launched. Rian passed over the controls to Leos so she could get them away before the capsule's contents blew. The fighters, given a choice between the capsule and the flare cat, split up, better than nothing. Leos was juggling the power draw of the shields, the star drive, life support, and probably other things that Rian was happier not knowing about. The flare cat accelerated as hard in the opposite direction as it could without overstressing the people in it. The fighters took this as a trap and soared away. Rian expected they'd come around for another try when they realized it wasn't. Then, between the space of one blink and the next... The capsule simply vanished. The fighters overtook what should have been its position and vanished as well. That could have been stealth if Rehan hadn't known better. They thought to check the sensor readings against their maps of the region. Stars upon stars had gone missing. 
nothing left of them. Or they amended to themselves. There had to be some redmint smear of matter, but the flarecats' instruments wouldn't have the sensitivity to pick them up. They regretted the loss of the people on those fighters. Still, better a few deaths than the many that the incendiary heart had threatened. All right, Leo said, and re-triggered stealth. There was no longer any need to hurry, so the system was less likely to choke. They were far enough from the raging battle that they could relax a little. She sagged in her chair. We're alive. Rian wondered what would become of Kavarian, for that was no longer their concern. We're still broke, they said, because eventually Leos would remember. You didn't wrangle any payment out of those damn Kel before we left? She demanded. Especially since after they finish frying Kavarian, they'll come toast us? Riem pulled off Kavarian's gloves and set them aside. Nothing worth anything to either of us, they said. Once... They would have given everything to win their way back into the trust of the Kel. Over the past years, however, they had discovered that other things mattered more to them. We'll find something else. And anyway, it's not the first time we've been hunted. We'll just have to stay one step ahead of them, the way we always have. Liu smiled at Rihan. And they knew they'd made the right choice. And there you go. Don't forget, copyright is Yoon Lee. Fantastic. What a story, man. And Mary, what can I say? Huge thank you. And I think we've kept you long enough as well. Let that story was over an hour long. Mm, oh, how, how good is that? Fantastic. So... Do join with next week. I hope you've enjoyed this show and do support her. You know what I mean? Two dollars ad free. No more adverts. One day early as well. And if if you increase it, you get the certain bonuses as well. Soon to be the new John Brunner album, album, <laughs> novel, audio novel coming out. Until next week, just like to say a good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon But the work is going slowly It won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you This signal's going light speed 
by the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here, and at best I'm moving slow. So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.